My name is Kevin. I am one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. If you're visiting with us, a, certainly a, a warm, sincere welcome to join us here this morning. Just to explain what uh, we do on Sunday mornings, we gather uh, together to lift up the name of Jesus. We believe Jesus is Lord, that he's king, that he's savior, that he's worthy of our praise. And so we gather uh, for the, with the express intent of worshiping him and focusing on him and reorienting our hearts around him week by week. And we do that through singing. We do that centrally through coming here um, and sitting under what we believe is the inspired word of God, the scriptures given to us as a revelation of God's heart and of his mind to us. And so we come and and, uh, we will read the scripture. And that'll be the most important thing we do together this morning is to read publicly the scriptures. And uh, then I will spend a few moments uh, unpacking, trying to teach, to explain so that we can understand the scriptures uh, that's not the end of our, of our gathering. We gather then in, in connection time. We will have some coffee and greet one another. And we respond then to the word in, uh, in community with worship and celebration. We'll see that even in this passage uh, together this morning. So that's what we're going. Uh, we are in a series this fall. Uh, this fall, our vision, as we look at this next year, we believe it is a season for Cornerstone Community Church to be seeking the face of God. That we would, as a, as a church, humble ourselves before God and that we would seek Him together to know Him, to love those things that He loves and to position ourselves for His renewing work. And so we're in this series which we call Revive Us Again. As we look at church history, as we look at the scriptures, we see that throughout history, God's people have always tended to drift. That, God's, that, that love for God that was burning hot grows cold, that a faithfulness to God and to following after Him, that we, we, we drift away from that. Where things that were you know, alive and animated become dull. Things that were in, in, in good standing become decayed. And so um, God works through periods, what we call renewal or awakening or revival, where He comes and visits His people to reawaken their love for Jesus. Where he comes and, and breathes new life into things that are dying. Where he comes and he repairs those things that are decaying. And, and so we believe, and so we have this image like the wave that we don't believe that we can, like a surfer cannot cause a wave to come. We cannot cause God uh, to send that kind of renewal or awakening. But what we can do is we can, like a surfer, be in the right spot. Be positioned, be postured correctly so that when the wave comes, when God sends renewal, we are ready for it. That we would be the kind of church in which God loves to work. And so the the theme this morning, which we're going to see in Nehemiah chapter 8, and I'll invite you to turn there to Nehemiah chapter 8. It may take you a while. It's a small book. It's uh, before Psalms. It's not right before Psalms, but it's before Psalms. If you're, that breaks the Bible in half for you, you if you have... There's always the table of contents. Look in the table of contents if you need to look there. But Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we're at. And what we're looking at today is the role that the scriptures play in God's renewing work among his people. What role does, do, do the scriptures, does the word of God play among a people in whom God is working to bring awakening and renewal, where God's, where, where God's doing an intense work through his Holy Spirit? What, what's the role, what's the place of the scriptures? And so we're going to come... Now here under Nehemiah chapter 8. And this is what it says. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, 
all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, the scriptures that they had, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mathaniah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Padeah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashpadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. I practiced that. Ezra opened the book. Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peleah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to drink, to eat and drink, and send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the Heads of all the families, along with the priests and Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make booths, as it is written. So... The people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. This is the word of the Lord. And so in some context, and Jeff actually set it up for us a little bit at the beginning of uh, our gathering together this morning, that uh, Ezra and Nehemiah were um, contemporaries, and in fact, most scholars believe that the books in the scriptures that we have, Ezra and Nehemiah, were actually one book 
uh, originally that they were written together. And they tell the story of three different groups of Israelites consecutively returning from Babylon, where Israel had been held in captivity, and returning to the promised land, returning to Jerusalem, their, their right and true home. You see, Israel had received the promised land. If you know the story, the narrative of the scriptures, you know that um, God had called out Abraham and said, it's through your family that I will bless all the families, all the nations of the world. And so he promised them a land, the land of Canaan, modern-day Israel, as their home for this people through whom God would work. And so the story of the Old Testament is God, the story of Israel. And, and, you, and you know that uh, Israel was in captivity, in slavery, in bondage, in oppression, in Egypt for over 400 years. But God miraculously delivered them and brought them out from Egypt back to the promised land, back to the place of blessing, to their true home. From exile, back to home. From slavery into freedom. This beautiful picture of what God is all about doing in people. But, but God promised, even at, through the words of Moses and the book of the law, which Nehemiah was, and Ezra were reading here, that God said, when you get to this land, when you get to the promised land, you're to obey me, you're to follow me, you're to have your hearts fully devoted to me. And if you don't, you, you actually will be removed from your land. That you'll actually lose this promised land. You'll lose your true home if you don't follow after me with your whole heart, if you're not completely and fully devoted to me. And so that's what, that's what we read. You know, as Israel comes into the land and they're first, they're ruled by judges and then ultimately, or secondly, by kings. We have, you know, Saul, then David, then Solomon. And after Solomon, his son Rehoboam, the kingdom is actually split into two. And we have the northern kingdom, often called Ephraim. And we have the southern kingdom, often called Judah. The, the northern kingdom made up of the ten tribes of Israel um, basically have no good kings. They're all wicked. And so they're all brought into exile. They're taken into exile into Assyria. And they're actually never really to return. The, the southern kingdom, Judah, the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin, have some good kings. And, and under those good kings, they prosper. And God's blessing them. But um, as the people respond to God in obedience and faith. But most of their kings are wicked. They, they turn the hearts of the people away from following after God. And in accordance with God's promise... In accordance with his threat, really, he sends Babylon and, calls, and, and takes the, the people of Israel into exile. And they're in exile for 70 years until uh, King Cyrus, at the beginning of the book of Ezra, starts to allow people to return. And so it's in this context that the book of Ezra and Nehemiah were written. That the, the people of Israel have been in captivity for over a generation, for several generations, are now beginning to return to their true and right home, to the place of blessing, to the place of promise. And um, to, to restore the worship of the one true God in Jerusalem, in the holy city, where God's presence was to dwell in the temple. And so Nehemiah is the one who leads the third group to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. He's not a religious leader. He's a secular leader. He was in um, the king of Persia's uh, cabinet. And when he hears about the state of Jerusalem, that its walls were still not rebuilt, and that the people who lived in Jerusalem were at threat to surrounding um, peoples, he, his heart is broken, and he eventually gains approval from the king of Persia to go uh, to, back to Jerusalem to rebuild. And he becomes the governor uh, of the area. And so the walls have just been rebuilt. And so the... You know, back in, I think it's in Nehemiah chapter 6, the walls have just been rebuilt after like only 56 days of building. 
this miraculous provision of God. And so after this 13-year absence, Ezra makes a, a reappearance. Now, Ezra, um, in Ezra 7.10, you can read that Ezra, and the, the verses on the screen behind me, that Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord, the Scriptures. Ezra was a man who had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, to obey it, and to teach it. That's who Ezra is, is that he is a man who's set his heart to study the law of God. And then, but not only to know it, but to do it, to obey it, to walk in the ways of God, and then to teach others to do the same. You may remember it's the same language that last week when we talked about Josiah, that Josiah had set his heart to seek the God of his father, David. The same language, that he had set his heart. His heart, his, his heart was settled in a certain direction. He says, this is, this is the direction of my life. My life is going to be all about for Josiah, seeking the God of my father David. Ezra is all about seeking to know, to do, and to teach the word of God. And so Ezra reappears here in chapter 8, and he begins to teach the scriptures, and an an awakening, a revival begins. Here's the first truth for us this morning. The first truth is that the word of God is central in every revival. The Word of God is central in revival. There has never been a revival in the Scriptures and, and in the history of the church that did not return the Scriptures to the place of prominence in the church. That in revival, it's, when God does an intense work among His people where many more people are added to the church, where God's people begin um, are stirred up in their affection for Jesus and their love for Jesus and in their, and, and their passion for Him. And, and, and people are added to the church. In those times of revival, it's always in the context of the Word of God being returned to its place of prominence and centrality in the church. It's always um, accompanied by anointed preaching that, that is preaching, that is teaching, that is attended to by the power of the Holy Spirit. This recovery, this honoring of the word of God. And so all, it says all the people gathered in the center of the town, in the square of, of, of Jerusalem. Now, the scholar, most scholars believe that this is a crowd of about 50,000 people. 50,000 people. So more people than who were cheering on Jose Bautista hitting that home run yesterday in the Rogers Center, about 48,000. A couple more thousand than that. So picture the Sky Dome filled with people. To the rafters, jam-packed. That, that's, the, that's the crowd that's standing and that is before Ezra. And it says, they told him. What did they tell him? I love this phrase. They said, bring out the book. Ezra, bring out the book. I love that. Bring it out. Bring out the book. And so Ezra does that. And as Ezra he, it says he praises God, and the people are like, Amen, Amen. And he begins to, he opens the book, and he's about to read, and all the people, 50,000 people, get on their feet. They stand at attention as a sign of respect and of attention before God. And Ezra reads from 6 a.m. till noon, six hours. This crowd of 50,000 are on their feet as Ezra reads and teaches and explains the scriptures, see this crowd of people, this um, mass of people had come together with this anticipation, with this expectation that as they opened the book, that the presence of God would be released, that the truth of God would change them. 
They gather with this expectation. So in, in times of revival, the word of God is, first of all, uh, it's valued. There's a new value for the word of God. People have an attitude of faith. And they're, you know, they're crying out as Ezra praises God, amen, amen. They lift up their hands and they're on their face before God. They're not passive. They are filled with anticipation. They're expecting that God is about to move among them. And our expectation and our hope and our longing is that when we gather together and we open the scriptures together, that the presence of God, the power of God would be released among us. That we would expect and that we would long and that we would be desired, that we'd hunger and thirst that God, as we open your word, as we come before you and as we hear not only your truth, but your heart, that we hear your love, that Lord, your presence would be revealed to us and that our hearts would be stirred up. So the word of God is valued. But secondly, the word of God is also taught. It's taught. Ezra is teaching it to the people. And then, you know, all those names that I, uh, that I read. And by the way, when you come across those names, just go. Like, especially if you have to read that in public. And some, sometimes we have to do that, right? You come across these names, you're like, oh, I don't know how to say it. Just go. It's green light. Whatever you see, just say. No one's going to correct you. No one's going to say, actually, it's Sherebiah. No, that's not how. Just, just go. Green light, just go. It doesn't matter. But, but it's important because these are real people, right? These are real people. This is historic. This actually happened. It actually happened. But, but the reason there were so many of those people is that you, you see it. Like Ezra would read something, and then those guys were in smaller groups, then explaining it, so that, and giving the meaning, making it clear, it says. Giving the meaning so that the people could understand what, it, what, what it's saying. So there, there, there's this reading and this explanation so that, so that it's clear, so we can know what God's saying to us. And so here's the truth. If you want an increase of the presence of God in your life, if you want an increase in the passion for God in your life, the first thing you should do is turn your heart back to the Scriptures. Towards hearing from God in the scriptures, between knowing the scriptures, between understanding the scriptures. And so we want to be a church where the word of God is central. That's why we have an emphasis on preaching. Jesus, known as a teacher, if you did your daily reading, if you are following along with us in that reading plan, today, someone in Luke chapter 8, someone came to him and said, Teacher. Jesus is known as a teacher. The church is born. What's the first thing they do? Acts chapter 2. Peter stands up and proclaims. He preaches. He teaches the scripture. And in fact, every revival in church history is begun, not through preaching, it's begun in a, in a movement of prayer among a people, among a group of people that are on their knees seeking out after God. But that those revivals then are fired, they're fueled by preaching. And when we bring the scriptures into our lives, we give the Holy Spirit fuel to speak to us. When you bring the scriptures into our lives, we give the Holy Spirit to speak to us. No, let no one say, God doesn't speak to me with a closed Bible. If, you have a, if you're complaining that God's not talking to you, but your Bible's closed, the problem's not with God. Right? The, the problem's not with God. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. The Apostle Paul exhorts the people of God, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So the word of God is valued, the word of God is taught, explained, and the word of God is understood, thirdly. 
the verb understand. I don't know. I tried to emphasize that as I read it, but the, the verb understand is in this text in verses 2, 3, 7, 8, 9, 12, and 13. It's a lot. It's the repeated word, understand, understand, which means to comprehend the meaning of the text. And so we read the Bible, we read the scriptures, not simply just to get it out there, but to understand it, to take it in so that it's comprehensible to us, so that we, it's understandable to us. You say, well, man, when I read the Bible, it's a lot of things, but it's not, understand, it's not easy to understand, right? Can I recommend a resource to you? And we, we often send these, we have links in our, um, we do a weekly email. If you don't get that, you can sign up on our website for that. Um, we do these e-bulletins, and often I'll have a, a link to a video called The Bible Project. It's this incredible new resource, and almost, they've, they've almost finished. They were doing it this year uh, of, write, of doing a video, seven or eight minutes probably, about for each and every book of the Bible, and also for a number of themes in the Bible. But the, books of the, the, the ones on the books of the Bible are incredible. They're amazing. They're, they take a book of the Bible, and this week, for example, I, read the, I watched the video for Ezra and Nehemiah. It just... In a really compelling way, in a really um, interesting way, gives you the overview, gives you the structure. What's the purpose of this book? Helps you to understand it. So I, I, you can go on, online, Google Bible Project, the Bible Project, because um, that's not its website uh, URL, but you'll find it if you Google, if you search for Bible Project. So... We study, we read the Bible to understand it. They're hungry to hear from God, these people. See, we live in a culture, and actually we live in a larger church context in North America where there's a lot of cynicism about the Bible. Is the Bible inerrant? Is it infallible? Is it even inspired? It's inspired in parts, and of course, uh, it's you know inspired in spots, and I'm the one inspired to spot the spots which it's inspired in, right? Um, and so there's this... We try to reinterpret every cultural... There's a, there's a pressure in the church to reinterpret every cultural issue again. And there's this temptation really towards liberalism. You know, you, the, this temptation, this, this push, even in the church, to value the Bible only as you perceive it to be true. But friends, these are not new criticisms. These are not new pressures in the church. There's always been cultural pressure against the Scriptures 100 years ago. The same in North America, 100 years ago, there was this fundamentalist debate. And those, those denominations, those, those tracts of Christianity that, that undermine the authority of the Scriptures are today dying, like literally dying, closing thousands of churches. Like, I, I, I was in a meeting this week. Three denominations, three mainline denominations in Canada over the next five years are expecting to close 8,000 churches. 8,000 in five years in Canada. It's not a new thing. But in those parts of Christianity that are exploding around the world are those who have stuck with the authority of the Word of God, of the Scriptures. And so more than ever, we need to love the Bible. We need to read the Bible. It's not a moment to fold under cultural pressures, but it's rather to believe and to hold fast to the authority of Scriptures. All right, so the Word of God is central in any move of God in the church, in any revival. Secondly, the Word of God is meant to bring great joy. I hope you caught that in the passage, that, that as we bring the Scriptures into our lives, 
The, the intent of the scriptures are meant to lead us into great joy. That the word of God's purpose is to bring joy into your life. You know, there's, and we're to respond to the word. We're, we're, the, the priority in the scriptures is always for us to respond to it. This morning's reading, Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells a parable of the, of the seed. It's the parable of the sower. And, and, and the, the, in, the bottom line of this parable is that how one responds to the word of God determines one's destiny, determines one's status with God. Do you receive the word and obey it and hold on to it? Or do you reject it? Do you, do you ignore it? It's response to the word. You see, the people, as, as the word goes out, as Ezra is, is um, reading, and then as the, the priests and Levites are teaching and explaining to make it clear so that the people can understand, the response of the people is that of weeping, right? They're, they're, they're weeping, they're grieving over their sin, over their, their unfaithfulness. As the, as the, you know, it's probably the book of Deuteronomy that they're reading, but as, as that's going out, as the teaching is going out, they're convicted. They're saying, wow, we've been so unfaithful to God. Wow, we don't measure up. No, no, we don't deserve any of these blessings that are promised. We deserve all these curses that are, that are, that are promised. But Ezra says, you know what? It's not about our faithfulness to him. It's about his faithfulness to us. And so he, he says, the, 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 the thrust of this passage, people of God, is to celebrate your relationship to God. And so their response of mourning, of grieving over their sin, actually makes the good news that much greater. And it leads to, it releases great joy among the people. You know, when you're in love, you're going to show it. You will feel it. And friends, in times of revival, there will be enthusiasm. <gasps> enthusiasm. There'll be enthusiasm for the things of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, A dislike of enthusiasm is to quench the spirit. A dislike of enthusiasm is to quench the spirit. Mull on that for a second. Have you ever kind of like, those Christians, they're so emotional. Let's be proper. Let everything be done in decorum. A dislike of enthusiasm is to quench the spirit. Cynics, hearts are cold and will dismiss the love. Of others, Walter Kaiser wrote, a, wrote this beautiful book, and it's really the it's it's called Revive Us Again. It's it's really in many ways the inspiration for this series. As I was reading it, it's it's looking at Old Testament revivals, and um and he's expounding them, he's explaining them, and he says this. He says authentic declaration of God's word, joined with genuine repentance, so that weeping, that that mourning over their sin, produces unremitting joy. This kind of joy is not the cheap imitation of the world. It's a holy and satisfying joy that exceeds all boundaries. It's a joy that has its source in the Lord himself. It's a joy founded on a feeling of being restored and back in communion with him. It's based on God's goodness and patience. This joy is a stronghold or a fortress which acts as a refuge and citadel into which the believer can enter no matter what the temperament of the day or the cultural issue 
It's a citadel of joy. That when you, when the, the, the word of God is declared and then we respond to it, it produces joy in our lives. That may strike us, that may strike you as surprising. That, that following Jesus is meant to be actually characterized by the unremitting joy. Unshakable joy. Joy that doesn't depend on the circumstances of your life. Our culture has discipled us to think that Christianity is joyless and somber and moralistic. But friends, the ministry of Jesus is all about joy. The angels came declaring to the shepherds, I've come to bring you good news of great joy for all people. Great joy. Not little joy, great joy. Jesus says, I've come so that you would have joy and that your joy may be full. Not halfway, not half full joy, full joy. He wants, he wants us to be full of joy. God is the happiest being in the, the universe. His essential nature is that of loving joy. He wants to lead you into the fullness of joy. And so when he says, don't do that, it's not trying to quelch your, squelch your joy. It's not trying, he's trying to lead you into the fullness of joy. He's saying, if you go there, that leads to death. So don't go there. This is the path of life. This is the path of your greatest joy. I know it doesn't feel like it right now. I know you want to do this in your, in your flesh, but don't go there. Go this way. His, his commands for us, his word to us, is meant to lead us into great and lasting joy. I was thinking this week about um, this summer, we took our kids to an amusement park, um, which is so unlike me in so many ways, because um, I hate crowds and loud noises, and I'm old and kind of crotchety. I'm getting there at least. But it's the, and, but, but I kind of do like... I kind of do like roller coasters, but so the kids, the kids are, the kids are afraid of them, right? They, it's like, I'm going to go on that, that thing. And I'm like, guys, it's going to be awesome. Let's go. Let's do it. And they're like, no, 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 I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And so there's, I was that parent a couple of times, like dragging a crying kid to, and like strapping them into the roller coaster and they're crying and they're like, ah, let me out of here. Let me out of here. But they go on the ride and they love it. And they love it. And it's a great teaching moment. I was like, see, I know I'm not out to scare you. I'm not out to give you a bad time. I didn't pay this money to make you have a bad time. I, knew, I, I brought you here because I knew you'd love it. Right? You're, I'm your dad. I want, you to, I want you to be happy. I want you to have a great time. I want you to be full of joy. And that's God, the picture God gives us is that as a loving father. He's saying, I want to lead you into joy. I want you to have feasting and celebration. Bring out the sweet drinks and the choice food. Do you see that in this text? Sweet drinks and choice food. I, I like that. That resonates with me. Choice food. In one translation, it says, bring out the fat. <laughs> yeah, guys, right? That's the best part of the steak, right? Bring out the fat food and the sweet drinks. People of God, can we be known as a people of choice food and sweet drinks? Of celebrating God's goodness to us. And verse 13. Um, so verse 13 is, now it's the second day. So up until verse 1, from verse 1 on, it was the first day of the month, of the seventh month. Verse 13, on the second day of the month, they're, they're reading the, the law and they were like, oh my goodness. On the 15th day of this month, so like in 13 days from now, we were supposed to keep the Feast of Booths. We had no idea. 
So they're reading the scriptures and they come across, oh no, we have, le- we have, like, we have less than two weeks to prepare for the Feast of Booths. Now the Feast of Booths is a festival that was to remind the people that you, were once, you once were a slave in Egypt and, and God led you out and he brought you through the wilderness and while you were in the wilderness you had to live in a tent, which is cruel and unusual punishment. And, and you had to live in tent, but it was a, a journey for your salvation to bring you to the promised land. And so God says, for, for, for every year in the seventh month, the second half of that month, I want you to live in tents. Just to remind, as a, as a visible reminder of your story. That, that you once were a slave, but God has brought you into freedom. That now you actually have a home. I don't know if that's why some of you crazy people go camping. Just to say... Just to be reminded every summer, oh, I'm so thankful I have a home. That's, when I go camping, I'm laying there and I'm like, the ground is hard. I'm getting bitten by bugs and it's hot and I probably got a rash growing on my arm. I'm so thankful I have a bed back at home. Why aren't, why aren't I there right now again? It was so they would never take it for granted that God led them for their salvation to the promised land. So they wouldn't take it for granted. Listen to this again then in verse 13 um, and onwards. They found written in the law that they were supposed to do this. And uh, so the people went out, verse 16, went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their roofs in their courtyards in the courts of the house of God in the square by the water gate, the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was very great. Their joy was very great. They did it publicly. They did it privately. There was full-hearted participation. So Cornerstone, what's our response to this word of God to us this morning? What's our response? Three, three that I would suggest, and there's lots of B's in them so you can remember. First, bring out the book. Right? Bring out the book. Bring out the book. Bring out the book of the, of the scriptures. We want to be a people of the book. We want to anticipate that when we gather, we will be taught from the word of God. And we can't wait to hear what God will say to us. To that end, would you pray for me? Would you? Because that's a weighty task for, for me as the primary teacher, preacher here at Cornerstone. Would you, would you pray for me? I know many of you do, and I'm so thankful to that, but for that. Because what a, what a responsibility is to get up and, and say, this is what the Bible means. This is what God says to us. What a, that's a huge responsibility. And I, I don't want to just do it as a smart person. I want to do it with power of the Holy Spirit. So would you pray for me? Just selfishly, but also for our collective good. So bring out the book. Would you also bring it out daily? Bring out the book daily. Would you have a no exceptions time and place where you... And God meet together in the scriptures and in prayer. That's why we put, to, put these things out. If you're visiting with us, you're like, what's this thing in this program that I got? This bookmark. It's, it's just a plan for us to daily spend time in the scriptures. So that every day, so that at the end of the year, we, we've read the entire scripture. And we've done it not just as an individual, but we've done it as a community. And the beautiful thing about doing it as a community is that as you're relating with someone else and you're a brother or sister in the church, you're like, oh, what's God saying to you? You know what? We're reading the same thing. It's, he's saying similar things to us. And so you're like, oh, maybe you're like, oh, man, I didn't start back in January. It's 
to, I guess I'll have to wait till next January. Oh, no, start, just start, start in October. Start, get September's. They're out there too. You can pick up September's and start today. And um, just bring it out. Bring out the book. Secondly, would you break the bread? Choice foods and sweet drinks. Choice foods and sweet drinks. Need I say more? We should be people most known for celebrating the good things that God has given us. We have resurrection life. You are never going to be punished for your sin. You will live forever in the new heaven and the new earth. God is your father. Jesus died for you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And now, to top it off, God is working all things together for your good. That's reason to celebrate. You, life might be hard. You might be sick. You might, you might have financial difficulties. You, you might have uh, something you're worrying about. Maybe a relationship that's it's not working right. Maybe a relationship with a child. Like, things can be hard. But God's your Father. He's working all things together for your good. You'll never be punished for your sin. The Holy Spirit's your Father. Jesus died for you. You have resurrection life. You have reason to celebrate. And would we attract the world to the saving beauty of Jesus by our celebration? Revival leads to enthusiastic joy. When God, wrote, when God brings the gospel home to us again and makes it real to us, there's going to be enthusiasm. So let us never look down on enthusiasm for the gospel. And let us not squelch it, heaven forbid. Thirdly, build your booth. Bring out the book, break the bread, build your booth. You have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. The story of captivity to sin, of oppression to sin, and the freedom that you, you experience in Jesus. You have a story to tell. So build your booth. Maybe, maybe you, you could even have a, maybe you even have tangible reminders of God's story in your life. Like, like the Israelites were walking around Jerusalem and they would see booth after booth, after tent after tent. It was this visible reminder of, of the story that they were a part of. Maybe you have a personal calendar. It's like, this is the day. So every day I was saved. And so every year I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to throw a feast on the, the day that, the, that Jesus saved me from my sin. Maybe this is the day you were freed from pornography. Maybe this is the day you were reconciled in relationship. And you, you're going to throw a feast and celebrate. And maybe a world around you will be saying, what's, what's the occasion? Why are you celebrating? You can say, this is the story that I'm a part of. So bring out the book, break the bread, and build your booth. Let's pray.